Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. For some reason, a number of so-called European intellectuals and politicians maintain the EU represents the highest level of human development. We are told Europe is a garden and the rest of us live in the jungle. Rhetoric aside, Europe is in serious trouble, hardly a model for the rest of the world. In fact, Europe is declining into irrelevance. Crosstalking Europe's decline. I'm joined by my guest John Lachlan in Paris. He's a university lecturer in history and political philosophy. In Munich, we have Ralph Niemeyer. He is the chairman of the Council for Constitution and Sovereignty. And in Providence, we have Vladimir Goldstein. He is the chair of the Department of Slavic Studies at Brown University. All right, gentlemen, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. John, let me go to you first. You've been on this program probably since its inception. I know you're a straight talker. You don't mince your words, so I'm not going to mince my words with my question. Does Europe, within the context of the EU and its current political elite, have a death wish? Uh, that's a good question. I think in some ways, yes. I mean, obviously, what you're referring to in your question is the uh, extraordinary way in which European leaders have taken orders from the Americans. And it's very important to understand that they did take orders from the Americans. I'm particularly, of course, thinking of the closure of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. I'm not talking about the sabotage at this point. I'm talking about the closure back in February. Uh, it, what's remarkable is the way they take orders, and uh, yet they are the ones, of course, who suffer from these orders. I mean, we've seen this now for, for months since the Ukraine war started. Uh, the Americans, uh, in a way, won the war on day one. Uh, because uh, the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline was closed down. And uh, once it was closed down, again, leaving aside the question of the later sabotage, it was obviously always going to be very difficult for it to be opened up again. So, uh, indeed, one wonders uh, whether they have a death wish because they're doing things uh, or they're ordered to do stuff by other people which are not in their own interests. And <clears throat> I have to say that the death wish, I think, in my view, uh, manifests itself most uh, obviously in green policy, so-called green policy, uh, which, of course, involves uh, um, negative growth, negative economic growth, uh, a reduction in economic activity, uh, obviously a reduction in energy consumption, reduction in uh, travel and all kinds of all the, all the sort of other things that we've got used to in recent decades. And increasingly, what we see, uh, for example, a uh, very recently in the last day or so in uh, France and in Finland and in other countries, uh, the idea of uh, carbon uh, uh, permits, which will track your carbon emissions. Oh. You know, every time you go and buy a pint of milk, you will, uh, you know, you'll be told how much carbon that costs. And the logical consequence, of course, of this, I, these kinds of ideas, even if they're presented as voluntary at first, is rationing and socialism and central control and in other words exactly where uh, the soviet union was right. uh, up until 30 years ago and that itself if you like that soviet experience was itself a kind of death wish because in the name of ideology yep. uh, russia and the soviet union and the other countries associated with it uh, pulled themselves further and further down until as we all know they were living in pretty miserable material conditions and i'm afraid i think europe is on that same trajectory
You know, Vladimir, I saw you nodding your head as John was answering my question here. And, you know, obviously the garden reference I made has to do with Joseph Burrell and his ridiculous blogs. The first one and then the ones explaining why the first one made sense. And then he compounded his uh, um, um, dilemma by continuing to talk about a garden. Well, if we want to stay with the garden, the garden was real pretty because it had cheap energy, didn't it? I mean, it's really kind of simple. OK, I, I you know, and John, as usual, jumps ahead of me. I want to talk about the, the the Bolshevik mindset here. But, you know, more or less the same question to you. I mean, everything that is being done in the name of Ukraine and its democracy and its borders and all that is impoverishing Europe. And what I don't understand, I can understand the U.S. wanting to push out its competitors in Europe. Okay, that's fine. But if Europe becomes de- uh, deindustrialized and poor, then what kind of market do, will it be for the Americans to export to? Not much. You don't, you don't want to export. You can't export to poor people because they don't have any money. Vladimir. Yeah, I would say that, you know, what we been observing in recent years, Europe was doing very well, precisely with the new and kind of resurgent Russia. That is, you know, they had cheap energy. They managed to balance, and let's face it, it was a pretty successful balance between certain kind of, you know, kind of social practices. They provide good medicine. They provide sort of, you know, social protections. Uh, with capitalist practices, uh, producing good product and selling them all over the world. So the model was working, and that's obviously uh, made you know, Americans and other competitors kind of nervous. So they decided to throw a monkey wrench. And this monkey wrench, you know, in the form of Ukraine, worked very, very successfully. They somehow managed to kind of split the Europe. And split uh, by splitting, I mean, you know, this very pro-American leaders and elite who somehow kind of believe that America knows best, and uh, common people who have to pay a lot of money for the products, who have to compete in the in the market square for, for, for the job. So the, this is monkey range is actually very working very well for United States, but Europe is, is just kind of divided, and they don't want to actually face reality. And as a yeah. good an emblem of how sort of Americans are doing it, you remember the very beginning of of Ukrainian crisis when Newland ends up in uh, Kiev and discusses with American ambassador and the new leaders in Kiev, to which he asked the questions and what the you know Europeans will think about our kind of meddling interference putting our people. And she answered in the root word, but basically, who cares about the Europeans? Of course, That's you right. use, you, you use uh, expletives. But this is the attitude, and somehow it doesn't sink to Europeans that this is the American attitude. Who cares? <laughs> you guys, you know, will buy expensive stuff from us. You'll, you'll, you're not going to be guarded anymore. And, you know, if, if he is honest, Burrell, he, he should have said that, yeah, we're not guarded anymore because of America, not because of his kind of uh, supreme understanding of how Europe, Europe functions. You know, Ralph. You know, they, you know, if we look at Germany, Germany is, you know, in, in the in in the in the world, Germany makes nice stuff, nice cars, nice pens, nice industrial stuff, and now that seems to be fading away. I mean, I mean, if someone had pointed out in my program, bakeries that survived the Second World War in Berlin are going out of business now. I mean, that is an amazing comment here. And it's all self-inflicted. The German political elite just nods its head and does what Washington says. I mean, you know, this, this uh, Europe is, has a toxic uh, dependency on Russia. No, it has a toxic relationship with the United States, Ralph, in Munich. 
Yes, I fully agree with you. And uh, I must say it uh, is certainly um, sure that Germany is the most of the vassal states that Mr. Putin said were there in Europe. And you saw it at the beginning of the year when Chancellor Scholz had been in the White House and Mr. Biden said to the question, what about Nord Stream 2, Mr. Chancellor? The Chancellor didn't answer the question of the reporter, but it was Mr. Biden who said, oh, we have ways to stop it. And that's what yeah. we have seen. Now, I've been uh, active with um, Gerhard Schröder, the former Chancellor of Germany, to pursue the German government in, in taking Nord Stream 2 uh, gas. Um, and Mr. Miller had confirmed to me, also Mr. Peskov had confirmed to me in September that they, yes, would be willing to give us gas through Nord Stream 2, if, if the sanctions, of course. And the sanctions are clearly... Um, directed against ourselves. We shot ourselves into our own foot. If you look at the statement from um, recent days now from the International Energy Agency, IEA, that said that uh, 10 million um, tons of, of oil are under sanctions from Russia to uh, to Western Europe, that is um, uh, enormous. It's two-thirds of the oil imports that we don't get anymore. That is rising inflation. That is uh, making life more expensive for everyone. The diesel costs, the byproducts, and so on. So the German industry is suffering most. Now, when I came to the Chancellor's office, I presented that offer from Mr. Miller from Gazprom, and I said to him that either he has to sign it or somebody else has to sign it, but then he has to re-sign because we need the gas, we need it for the German industries, for the SMEs, and for the population. Yes, but Ralph, but, but isn't the, but isn't the, you know, the green future, doesn't that trump everything? John, it's really amazing how Ukraine and the green agenda have collided together. They've actually a godsend for, for Washington, because you're killing two birds with one stone. Go ahead, John. Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, but don't forget, we had COVID for two years. That's right. And that also uh, conjugated very easily with the green agenda. In fact, almost anything is a good pretext for the green agenda. Uh, the Great Reset, the famous Great Reset of uh, June uh, 2020, Klaus Schwab's Great Reset, was written, of course, at the uh, in the initial shock of the first lockdowns. And uh, he and all his other Davos groupies said that this was a great moment to uh, uh, to reset the world economy. And uh, when you read the book, you can see that what he's really talking about is is the green agenda. Is what I said in my first answer. It's uh, you know reduced economic growth, greater centralized control, and so on. And uh, now, uh, more than two years later, uh, we have, uh, for example, in the United Kingdom, I mean, that's just one example, because it's even more true what I'm about to say of Germany uh, and of France and other countries. But, for instance, if you take the United Kingdom, which, as you know, has everybody knows, has had several prime ministers since uh, yeah. since 2020, uh, the latest one, the current one, said only last year in Glasgow, we have to rewire the world financial system uh, to uh, aim for net zero or to achieve net zero, rewire the world financial system. What that means is cooking the books together with the big accountancy firms, because he and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum have said they've got the big accountancy firms, the big four international accountancy firms on board. It means cooking the books, integrating things like carbon emissions and so on into company balance sheets, literally rigging the accounts in order to uh, meet this net zero target. 
And, and he said that in uh, 2021, uh, long before the war in Ukraine. But yes, of course, now that uh, Europe no longer has hydrocarbons from Russia, it's obviously going to have to reduce its consumption because everybody knows that the alternative sources of gas uh, and other hydrocarbons do not exist. There isn't yeah. enough liquefied national ga natural gas, and we certainly don't have the way, the means to achieve okay, it. Okay, John, John I, I have to jump in here. I have to jump in here. We have to go to a hard break, and after that hard break, we'll continue our, our discussion on Europe's decline. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. To remind you, we're discussing Europe's decline. Okay, let's go back to Vladimir. Vladimir, you're here in the U.S., and, and um, this is a week after the midterm elections, and the final pitch the Democrats, the liberals made is that democracy's on the ballot, okay, trying to scare everybody. Okay, well, the, ball the, the ballot is democracy, but that's uh, beyond the point here. Um, and, and, and then we have the case of uh, uh, the crusade to save Ukraine is in the name of democracy, which there is no democracy there, but... My point is here is that everything we have talked about on this program thus far, it's never been on the ballot. Nobody ever gets to vote for this stuff here. And that's what's really frustrating. They all do everything in the name of democracy, but democracy is what they fear most because no one would vote for this. Vladimir. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, pay tribute to uh, the skill of uh, American propaganda, which yeah. managed more or less hijacked the hopes, aspiration of a lot of progressive kind of educated people. They all want, you know, green planet, democracy. They all want sort of, you know, you know, good, uh, good things. Uh, and, you know, Democrats and liberals and Greens in Germany, they pretend to promise it. But basically, it's a Trojan horse that, you know, they, they, they promise it. But underneath it, what we what we see is just the most kind of rapacious greed, exploitation, lies, and, and so on. For me, it was a very good example when in Germany... Okay, they don't want to depend on Russian gas, and then when they find themselves in trouble, okay, why don't we bring coal? So, like, how green, you know, if you think about it, how this progressive, uh, you know, group, which, you know, w wants to, uh, you know, uh, improve the planet, bring coal, uh, bring, you know, fracking. What, are they going to buy the stuff from America, which just basically pollutes, uh, you know, uh, uh, whole states here? So, so th this, this is the idea, but I think it's a skill, but sort of, you know, there's uh, an average European syndicate they want to do the right thing, but they are convinced by their politicians that the right thing is to follow this very obscure, very undemocratic, I agree with you, very undemocratic American agenda, which basically turns the planet into a concentration camp rather than a green planet. That's what we're observing. But, you know, the, the, the people are convinced or they are marching to a concentration plan, but they're, but they're thinking, they're imagining that they're going into some kind of garden of democracy. You know, you know, Ralph, I've been to Germany many times in my life, and one of the things I like about Germany will be very simple. The place works, okay? It works well. I like it, okay? You can feel comfortable there, all right? But do, are, are most Germans willing to live with less? Are most Germans willing to be poor for the environment? I mean, again, this has never been tested at the ballot box, Ralph. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. No one is, is willing to sacrifice the standard of living. 
And um, we, we see that in the refugee crisis in 2015, that suddenly people become very political, although they may not go and vote. But it's never put to a voting. Now, the same with the cultural revolution that we have since since COVID, since the pandemic. We undergo a genderism, LGBTQism, and we undergo the greenwashing of our economy. And it doesn't work and it doesn't resonate with people. People are extremely upset now, and they are marching in the streets every week to protest against it. They know that voting doesn't help them. And it's a bit like in the US when you say, do you have hung parliaments? You know, here the debate is also hung in parliaments in many aspects. And the fine-tuning of the economy doesn't help us anymore. We need some more radical steps now to protect our standard of living, to protect democracy and growth. And that is the problem we have most at the moment. We see a decline in our uh, production already and the productivity as well. And we see this due to the high energy costs. So people are not willing to take it because our systems won't function anymore. We expect blackouts very soon, although the gas storages are full, but the gas is already being sold to others. So again, Ralph, Ralph I'm sorry if I, can interrupt, if I can interrupt here. So let's be really clear here. Europe is one of the most um, uh, wealthy and modern places on the planet, and it's going to experience blackouts. Okay, just take that on board. John, same thing. Brownouts happening possibly in France here. Um, is it all Russia's fault? Is that what people in Paris say? Oh, those damn Ruskies? Do they really believe this? Because the UK prime minister announced a few days ago the country is going into recession and it's Russia's fault. Is that something that people believe? Go ahead, John in Paris. Well, I suspect the answer is probably yes. I mean, not everyone, of course, but I, uh, my, my feeling is that uh, it's quite possible that uh, there is a, uh, a fairly large measure of acceptance of that view, which, of course, I don't share. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's for two reasons. Firstly, the propaganda is absolutely intense. Yep. Uh, and secondly, uh, you know, what is in store for us is... Uh, it's so terrifying that it's really better, it's better actually for your state of mind not to believe it. <laughs> you know, humankind cannot bear too much reality, as T.S. Eliot said. Uh, the blackouts, in a way, I would say, are almost uh, secondary in importance. Uh, because, you know, OK, the lights go off for a few hours. Obviously, that's a pretty primitive way of carrying on. But what's far more serious uh, is, of course, the long-term deindustrialization which this will cause, which the rising energy prices will cause. I mean, shortages are one problem, but rising costs are, in a sense, a more important one. And the deindustrialization has started. So, for example, BASF, the largest chemical producer in the world, a company that everybody has heard of, uh, has announced that it is permanently <clears throat> closing most of its European output uh, and instead relocating to Asia. So this is a major development, but there are many other developments from the level of the bakers that you just mentioned, Peter, in your one of your earlier questions, to these gigantic uh, industrial multinationals like BASF. And once they've closed, once those companies have closed, you know, their factory in Ludwigshafen or wherever and decided to uh, ma uh, make things in Asia or even in America, because... Uh, it's very important, uh, perhaps I should say this, uh, so that nobody is under any illusion. The high energy prices are in Europe alone. They're not in Asia and they are not in the United States. So the competitiveness of the economy, of the European economy, of the continent of Europe, is 
uh, absolutely terrifying uh, in comparison with the competitiveness of the United States and Asia, which have far lower energy costs for a variety of reasons. Well, John, I, I tend to think that's no coincidence, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, seriously, okay? I mean, it's easy to always to blame someone else, uh, but, but, you know, if, let me go to Vladimir here. Is that The reason why I ask the question, you know, blame Russia, Russia's not sanctioning anyone. Russia is being sanctioned. That's why this is happening, okay? It, it's, it's the West in its decision-making, uh, Stupidly, I would say. I don't think they thought it out. Certainly the Russians have because Russia is coming out of a mild recession and inflation is going down. That's not happening in Europe, Vladimir. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we live in this kind of unbelievable short termism, uh, which, you know, United States, this is, this is very typical American thinking, is imposing all over the world. Let's just go through the history. At certain moment, okay, there was like a 9-11 attack on, uh, on Trade Center. The Americans got into the head. Once we beat the hell out of Saddam, everything will be fine. So they start the war, destroy one country, telling everyone, oh yeah, this is one evil, one <laughs> demonic state, one, okay, nothing, did it really improve? Okay, now it's Gaddafi's fault. Let's, let's, let's finish the Libya. Now let's do something with Syria. So this idea of like, let's designate an evil guy, be it, you know, somebody, you know, in North Korea or in Russia. And once we sort of run, uh, run over them, everything will be fine. And where, based on what? You know, we, we know how the history unfolds. We know, like, you know, when in the 19th century, uh, England was fighting with Russia, all of a sudden missing the German rise and, and so on. So these are all complicated issues. And this naive hope that we designate Russia as an arch-villain, once we sort of do all our efforts, do something with the country, everything will be fine. This is, this never worked and never will. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is they never want to blame neoliberalism, okay? Because that's, that would get too close. That gets too close to home, okay? Because neoliberalism has failed. It has failed for the vast majority of people of the West, in North America, in Europe as well. But no one can admit that because the people that have made so much from it um, are, are, will maintain it, okay, through these r ridiculous elections that we have to go through. I agree, Baalbaal doesn't really mean that much anymore. Ralph here, what's going to happen to Germany? Because Germany's pride is its productivity, okay? Its genius, its ability to create things that the world wants. When people don't want German goods, then what is Germany? Ralph. Yeah, well, two points here. First of all, we do not blame Russia for anything, not the ordinary citizens here. We even see that in opinion polls that the mainstream media is publishing, 40% say they follow more the Russian uh, propaganda, kind of. That's what they are upset here about. And secondly, they say 80% of Germans, they blame the Americans for uh, the wrong economic decisions that they impose on us. So I compared with the time after World War II where it was at stake whether we either would be under Morgenthau plan yep. that would leave Germany hugely industrialized, right. deindustrialized, or a Marshall plan that we finally got thanks to the Americans so we could rebuild our economy after the Second World War. But now we feel we are under Morgenthau regime again. So we are fearing that we lose everything and we are not blaming the the Russians for that. We actually call for a transatlantic divorce 
in friendship, of course, with the Americans. We well, don't I'm, want I'm, to I'm sorry, Ralph, but if Germany really wants to, to be serious, it can do one thing, and it will shake up everything, is leave NATO. What would NATO be without American bases in Germany, okay? I mean, it, they, they, we're, well, where's, where's the resol yes. resolve here? And then let me finish with, with John here. Europe has no resolve. That's why Europe will com continue to decline. 30 seconds, my friend. Well, that's because the European integration process, which all the European elites believe in and are committed to, is uh, an integral part of uh, transatlanticism and uh, the alliance with, the, with, the, with America. The Americans need and want a united Europe, and they have done since the 1940s. And the European elites want to have Russia as an enemy because that, they think, will reinforce a sense of European solidarity. So there is absolutely no chance uh, of the current European elites breaking with the Americans because it is part of their DNA. It's That's part, part of, of their DNA. Believe. Okay, they're very bold. They they, it, 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 it's their DNA because they have a Bolshevik mindset. We're going to have to leave it there, gentlemen. Many thanks to my guests in Paris, Munich, and in Providence. And thanks to our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. Remember, Crosstalk Rules.